I've listened to a few of your episodes on your show and you've done really good work to help, I guess, not only raise awareness with ADHD, but also talk about some areas that people might feel like they can relate to, which I think is really important. So I wanted you to introduce yourself to everyone out there listening, um, just so everyone can get a feel for who you are. Yeah. My name is Brendan Mahan. I'm an ADHD coach, consultant, and speaker. I host the ADHD Essentials podcast. I'm on the organizing committee for the International Conference on ADHD, and I'm on the board for the men's ADHD support group. Um, so yeah, ADHD is kind of what I do. I'm also what, like a father and a that's ha- the important hug, stuff, married man. husband and that <laughs> stuff. Yeah, I t- I'm a big family guy, so I tend to I tend to prioritize family over everything else whenever I can. How did you get interested in at least talking about researching ADHD? I have it. So that's part of it. Like that's a piece of it. Um, but really what happened was I taught, I was a teacher for like 10 years and um, I was struggling. And some of my struggles were that at the time that I was teaching schools didn't have a lot of money. So I was kind of shifting from one district to another because they always let the new person go first. So if you can't keep a curriculum in education, you don't get better at teaching that curriculum because you got to learn a new one every couple of years, which was the place I was in. But I also was really good with the kids. I was really good at working with students and connecting with them fast and those sorts of things. And particularly what at the time, a lot of people considered the troubled kids, right? The kids who had ADHD, kind of especially boys. I got them. I was like, yeah, no, I, I of course I understand why your kid is struggling or if I'm talking to the kid, why you're struggling. It's this stuff. And so I started learning about ADHD. And as I, as I went from one position in education to another position, I started to wonder like, some of this is budgetary issues and some of this is on me. Some of this is me doing it wrong. And a lot of the stuff I was doing wrong was missing small details and lack of follow through and that kind of stuff. And so I started wondering, like every time I've heard about this ADHD thing, it's it rang true. Let me go see if that's what's up. And I ended up uh, getting medicated, which helped. Um, I, I met a, an ADHD professional and worked with them and learned about what the disorder is and how it works. And I was like, I get this. I can help people with this. My career as a teacher ended because I just bounced too many times. Um, and I was like, I'm either going to go be a guidance counselor, because everyone kept telling me to be a, be a guidance counselor because I was so good with the students, or I'm going to be an ADHD coach. Like, I'm going to do one of those two things. So I went back and got a second master's degree, this time in counseling, and also dabbled in ADHD on the side. Without knowing it, I kind of walled myself off from guidance counseling because I thought people would go, this guy is going to be a great guidance counselor. He understands ADHD. What I learned was happening was in the interview process, and I'm sure in the resume process too, people would see my ADHD stuff and go, oh, this guy would be a great special education teacher, but he doesn't work as a guidance counselor because he should be a special education teacher, but he's not licensed in that. So I think I ended up not getting guidance counseling degrees because I highlighted my ADHD expertise so much. Uh, and then that made the decision for me, right? Either a guidance counselor or a special edu- or an ADHD coach. Guidance counseling wasn't happening. Admittedly, there's not a lot of those jobs each year. So I started doing the ADHD stuff, did a little bit of work in a mental health, as a mental health clinician, did a little bit of work as a special education teacher, and then just jumped in both feet into ADHD and started the podcast. I run online parent coaching groups. So I started those as well um, and and continued to work one-on-one with people as appropriate. And I trained schools and businesses and you kind of, you name it on what ADHD is and how it works. And that's expanded to training on neurodiversity and anxiety and communication and relationship skills and social emotional learning and all of this other stuff that in order to be as high of an expert in ADHD that as I could be, I had to learn about these other things because they all play a role in the disorder. Um, and so my my career just kind of grew from there. Well, like what's the time frame we're talking about here when you first started looking into ADHD? Like was it accepted already? Was there a lot of research on it? I mean, I looked into it like when I was a kid, it was just grow up, you know, you'll grow out of it. It was something like that. And then 
a couple of months ago, I was on social media. And I mean, there's some things on social media where it's like, that's really good ADHD information. And there's also a lot of stuff that doesn't really make sense that they're comparing with ADHD. But it helped me like want to Google it and look it up and be like, hey, I could talk to someone on my show about it, um, or at least a specific thing to maybe raise awareness and maybe better understand some things about myself as well, too. Selfishly, yes, selfishly. Uh, but there's a whole ton of information, but that was only a couple months ago. And I started realizing it was only accepted maybe eight years ago, maybe almost 10 years ago. It started to be like actually looked into and investigated more. So I'm curious when, like, was it well accepted when you first got diagnosed with it, accepted into it, looked into it? Not really. Like it was risky back then. I, I started getting my diagnosis and going into that, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago. I started doing the ADHD work 10 years ago. Um, so I've been doing this for a decade. And at the time, it wasn't that accepted, right? Like I, I was a teacher. In my lens, in my mind, like my fellow teachers and my principals should be totally okay with me having ADHD because that's what we, as teachers, that's the job, right? Like the whole culture of schools is like, yeah, cool. This kid's got ADHD or dyslexia or autism or whatever. Let's help them navigate that. But that wasn't the response in some of the schools that I that I worked with and some of the staff members that I worked with. They weren't okay with me having ADHD. It wasn't the thing where they were just like, oh, cool. let's like figure this out. And that was a shock to me and really helped me see what the needs were. Um, and that became part of what I, what my mission was. Part of my job was to like improve the acceptance of ADHD. And I'm certainly not the only one who's doing that work. Um, but part of the mission of my podcast is like, let's expose the world to ADHD and to anxiety and to whatever other neurodiverse challenges out there that fits with ADHD and can be comorbid and try to improve the acceptance of it. COVID, two things have happened to really help that. The most recent one is COVID because as a result of COVID, people are talking about anxiety a lot more and burnout a lot more. And that- Brain fog. And brain fog, yeah. And that's a road to acceptance because more people, the more we can talk about something, the more comfortable people become with it, right? The other thing that happened is it's the same mechanism, just a different angle, although it plays into COVID, is the rise of podcasts and YouTube and, and also TikTok to a degree because that's people talking about it and people being public with it. And even social media in general, right? Like Twitter has a whole subsection that's all neurodiverse. I have autism, I have ADHD, trying to normalize the existence of people who are not neurotypical. And all of that helps with acceptance. Why do you think there was so much hesitancy in accepting ADHD for such a long while? I mean, COVID is relatively, what, three years ago, four years ago almost, and ADHD started kind of being accepted eight, maybe 10 years ago. So there was this kind of halt and there was this kind of mindset already in some schools in the education system. My school was one of them. I got locked in a room, uh, which was just out of school, not out of school suspension, in school suspension. Um, with a piece of paper in front of me. So it was like that. They didn't understand it. They saw it as a problem child. And I'm sure that's like that for a lot of people, even people still hesitant to accept it now. I think it's because you can't see it. You're talking some about of a person's you, experience. Some of it is you can't see it. A lot of it is the nature of our culture. And it's a, it's a, it's changing. Like this kind of wanders in the, the land of politics a little bit. I'm happy to avoid that if you would prefer that I do so. Um, but there's there's an undercurrent in America of authoritarianism, of like do the thing that I said because I said it, and if you don't do that, you're you're bad, right? You're disrespecting me or something. And ADHD, like that, doesn't always work for folks with ADHD. Some of us are people pleasers. Some of us are like, sure, you ask that thing, I'll go do that thing. I have a strong people pleasing component to myself. I also have some oppositionality sometimes. And there's times when I'm like, why? Like, why do you want me to do that? And I don't mean it disrespectfully. It's like, I don't understand why you want me to do this. And I will do it, but I don't understand why. Or I don't understand why you want me to do this. And I might go and do it, but I'm not going to do the best job because I don't get why you want me to do it. It feels like a waste of time. I'm probably going to grumble while I do it. And folks who hear a person who doesn't have as much power as them 
ask for a justification for why they should do whatever is being asked. Some people are cool with that. And some people take that as offense and, and like have fragile egos and can't handle it. And if you have ADHD, you're struggling more than a neurotypical person. You're going to, you're not going to follow through as effectively. And that's going to cost you in terms of career advancement, in terms of like grades at school or whatever part of life you're in. And as you have these struggles, other people don't, and they advance further than you. So they have more power than you have. So that power dynamic comes up for folks with ADHD a lot. Often in like the macro, folks with ADHD don't have as much power as neurotypical folks, just because you make some mistakes professionally, you don't rise up the ranks as fast. Other people end up with more power over you in in the shorter period of time. And if you've got those people being offended because you want to know why they want this report by Tuesday when you know they're not going to do anything with it until Friday, you could run into some problems, right? Um, and another piece, another component to this is kind of connected to that. And that is that vulnerability and weakness is not always accepted in in the culture, right? Like that's not always a thing that feels safe and okay. And so if you have a disorder and you're making mistakes and showing vulner and showing weakness, right? In order to explain why you're making these mistakes, you have to be vulnerable. You have to say, I have this thing that means I don't work the same way as you. And that vulnerability can also upset people and cause concerns. And so my generation, especially, I'm probably 20 years older than you, I'm 46. Um, my generation, it was like, you don't talk about stuff. You do not talk about anything that is not going right. Like I, I was raised in an Irish Catholic family, like with alcoholism and stuff going on in there. Like we don't, you don't talk about that stuff. I just had like the opposite response. Like part of my oppositionality came out with me being like, no, I'm going to talk about everything. I'm going to talk about all the stuff because the only way to get it okay is to talk about it. If we don't talk about it, it's never going to be accepted. It's never going to be okay. Um, the internet let all the people who wanted to talk about stuff have a bigger platform and a bigger voice. And we found each other. And so stuff that used to be dangerous and risky to talk about has been normalized a lot on the internet. It's not everywhere. There's still places where if you have ADHD, do not disclose the fact that you have ADHD to your employer or to your coworkers, because it probably will bite you, right? There's plenty of businesses and companies where that's the way to go. There's other businesses and companies where it's totally safe and great. I'll shout out Indeed right now. I have a client who works for Indeed pretty significantly in terms of a role. She was struggling and she disclosed that she has ADHD. They could not have been more supportive and more welcoming and open to the stuff that she needed. It was great. We spent three weeks trying to decide if she was going to disclose or not, and she elected to. I didn't pressure her. I just asked questions. She disclosed, and they did a great job. So there's certainly companies out there that are doing it right, and that's what we want. We want we want businesses and stuff to know. Like it, Having an ADHD person is great as long as you know what to do with them. If you don't know how to utilize them, then it might blow up in your face because they're going to struggle with follow-through. They're going to be late to meetings. You should know that stuff. But if you have a huge problem, like they're the one you want, like you want them to do the thing that's hard because they'll crush it. And as long as we know what to do with these ADHD folks, like put them in front of people and have them talk to folks because usually that's engaging for them and they're pretty good at it. Don't have them fill in spreadsheets all day because that's going to be tedious and boring and they'll lose track. Unless, of course, they're an ADHD person who loves spreadsheets. In which case, great, have them do spreadsheets. Maybe don't put them in front of people. But knowing what our interests are and what lights us up and then getting in a job that lets us do those things and and will support us in our weaknesses in other areas is the recipe for success with ADHD. If I ask a if I ask a question that is controversial, just let me know. I accidentally do that sometimes on certain topics if they go into that area. I've done it a couple of times with like um Dr. Rozier when she was on here. She kind of prefaced her answer with a controversial thing. I don't know what's controversial. I'm just kind of 
what first thing comes right, to mind. Yeah, whatever. But I have to think that with the, you see a whole paradigm shift now where you see a lot of people that will either say, oh, I think I have a little bit of ADHD or they'll say something on this sort. And I mean, it's not saying like you want to, I mean, you make a good point about people don't want to expose their kind of weakness in a sense. I think there is a little bit of shame that does come with that. Um, but it's also, it's like asking, like if you tell someone, hey, I have ADHD, I have to do it this way. Then even if they might, you know, know what that is or, you know, say that they have a little bit of it, they still feel like they have to give you extra. So it's like, now wait, but now we have to do this specifically for you. And that's a guilt thing for the ADHD person as well, too. I mean, there's like this, it, I don't know if that would be a, a, a controversial thing to say, but I'm seeing a lot more of like people coming out with all the positives and all the amazing benefits and all this type of stuff, which I think is really good. That helps pat us on the back a little bit because we have walked through, a lot of people have with a lot of it, a lot of shame through their life. But it's also like, you know, saying that these are superpowers, I have a problem with because they have to be harnessed in a certain way. They're not just like something we can flip like a switch and next thing you know, I can you know, paint the Mona Lisa or something like that. Now I got to somehow come across a Bob Ross video at one o'clock in the morning. And then suddenly it's stuck in my head where I have to go downstairs and start painting. Yeah, no, I agree. There's a couple things in there that I want to, that I want to play with. One is if you are in a job and you get to the point where you're like, look, I have ADHD and these are the things that are going to help me be more successful. And that's the way to say it. You don't want to say, I need this, right? You want to say, look, I have ADHD. It's kind of getting getting in the way. I need these kinds of things or these kinds of supports, whatever language your company uses to help me be more successful and contribute to this company more effectively. Because that's what the company wants. The company wants you to be successful. And if they respond in a negative way, if they're like, right, you probably don't want to work there. You might have to. Like, I get that. But if you can bounce, bounce as soon as possible. Because they're not interested in helping you help them. Does that make sense? Like a, a, a company, a, a manager, a leader that's doing it right is going to give their reports, their employees, whatever supports they need within reason in order to meet with the success that they want that person to meet with because their success is the company's success. And, and that's just an important thing to keep in mind as an ADHD person, not just to like gauge the culture and whether or not you want to stay there, but also in terms of how you're going to frame things to your employer and how you're going to talk to them about what your needs are. Because if it's your need, they might not be interested. They might be like, yeah, just work harder. Like, shut up. No one else is asking for this stuff, right? But if it's, if you can explain to them and help them see why meeting your need is going to meet their needs, then they're more likely to do it. And that's the way, that's the kind of frame we want to take. In terms of ADHD and superpowers, I am not an ADHD superpowers guy. You're talking to someone who majored in comic books in undergraduate studies at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. I know superpowers better than most. ADHD is not a superpower. Unless you want to call it like a superpower with a curse, like you could do that, sure. Like you can fly, but it has to be only inside. Yeah, right. Are there things that ADHD brings kind of that are benefits? Yeah, but a lot of those are side effects, not actually ADHD. By and large, ADHD makes life harder. That's why it's a disorder. It makes my having ADHD has made my life more difficult than it would otherwise be. The end. That's not how a superpower works. Do I every now and then get a benefit from it that makes me look pretty cool and makes me seem kind of amazing? Sure, that happens. There are days when I'm the greatest person walking the face of the planet. There's also days when I don't know why they let me out of my house. And that's just the nature of having ADHD. It's this up and down roller coaster. That's not a superpower. The strengths that ADHD brings are heavy, heavy side effects of the disorder. I'm a really good problem solver, but I'm a really good problem solver because I've caused so many problems that I've seen those patterns and I know how that works and I've already solved that problem a bunch of times. That's why I'm a good problem solver. I'm really, really good with people. A lot of that is because in middle school, I kept messing up and I had to learn to talk to my teachers 
so that they would give me a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. So I was learning the skill of social interactions, especially with people with power over me at a really young age. That's cool, I guess. It's nice to have those skills, but it grows out of the problems that ADHD has caused for me as opposed to I just woke up one day and was really good with people and was a really good problem solver. I'm pretty resilient as a person. I can handle a lot of adversity, but that's because I've had a lot of practice handling adversity. And a lot of that is because of my ADHD. Not all of it, but a lot of it. So I don't know that ADHD is a superpower. The closest thing you can get to it is hyper-focus when we kind of zone in on a thing and we're really productive and can write that 20-page paper the night before it's due. Like that's dope. That's cool. That feels like a superpower. But remember how you feel for the three days after that and how burnt out and fried you are. Like, or you could have started writing that 20-page paper two weeks ago and not had to do it the night before, and you would not have been burnt out. Am I making sense on how these things kind of, the superpowers are a result of the ADHD and the problems that it brings? Well, you you mentioned it in the beginning before you started going into some of the examples, which is that it has a benefit to it, but also a curse to it. You know, I guess a lot of people kind of see the benefit. I mean, if you can do a lot of work in a short amount of time, like right before the deadline hits, but then they don't really guess pay attention to you really afterwards, especially at a job. I mean, I, I was trying to look up ADHD jobs because I would think that people that bounce around from job to job, they're not like unqualified for a job or something like that. It's just that there's a, probably a little bit of hobby bounce that goes in there. I mean, whatever really interests you at that moment, you can switch to a position, but also what keeps you more engaged? Like if you have hyperactivity, are you going to be okay stuck behind a desk? You know, I, I looked at a lot of jobs that were recommended were like either athletes or cops or things like that. And I have ADHD. I work at a gym. My friend who's a personal trainer, we have to be moving. We can't be sitting still. And for a lot of people, they're just, I mean, see, this is, this is that counterpart, the controversial part. There's ADHD and obesity, which I'm like, I, I don't know about that. I mean, have you come across that before with ADHD and obesity? Is that just because of lazy factor? Or there's a lack of interest or depression or something? First, there's no such thing as lazy. That doesn't exist. I'm going to step on that right away. Lazy is learned helplessness brought about by a lack of skills or resources. That's all that it is. No one is lazy. They just are stuck and don't know what to do next or don't have the resources to do what's next or don't have the skills to do what's next. And the more we look at lazy as what's hiding underneath the lazy, the more we can build people up and help them have breakthroughs that they need to have. If The problem with the word lazy is it feels like an answer and it's not. So it be, and it's a it's a moral judgment on that person, like oh they're lazy. The end. No no no. Why? What's going on underneath the lazy? Right. Um, a lot of ADHD is gets affected by moral judgment, and that's a, that's one of the problems with it. Is like oh well that person like didn't remember his wife's his wedding anniversary with his wife, so he must not love his wife enough. He must not care enough. What if that guy tells his wife he loves her every single day and just has ADHD and sucks at dates? Like that's a thing, right? That could, that could be what happened. Oh, he's always late. He clearly doesn't care. No, he's got ADHD. And there's a hundred reasons why people with ADHD are late. None of which have to do with how much they want to be there or not. Um, in terms of obesity, key, it, dep it depends on your life situation, right? Like I'm struggling with weight right now. I need to drop about 30 pounds. Post COVID, I gained a lot of weight because COVID, which was like... It was hard to go to a gym and exercise. My life got really stressful during that time. I ended up homeschooling my boys for a, for a one school year, which mean I, meant I was posting a weekly podcast, doing my ADHD essentials job as a coach and running parent groups and one-on-one -on -one stuff. I did do the occasional workshop, and I was also creating a curriculum, delivering a curriculum, and assessing a curriculum for my two kids all at the same time. There was no space for going to the gym there was not a lot of space for paying attention to what I was eating. I was just, if it was yummy, it was in my face. If it was easy, it was in my face. Um, and then one of my sons also has obsessive compulsive disorder, which de developed before COVID, but got significantly worse during COVID. It got to the point where he needed to be hospitalized. Um, so last year he was in McLean hospital from July to October. 
this is on my podcast, episode 250 of my show is my family talking about this. So it's public. I'm not talking out of school here. That was hard. It was hard to have a kid going through that level of distress where he was taking two hour showers. He'd be washing his hands for 40 minutes at the sink, crying the whole time. He's got a twin brother who also needed support during that time. And especially after my, my son with OCD got better then the other one had some like trauma response to that. It was, it was really hard. And all of that means I gained weight. Nothing, nothing to be being lazy, but everything to do with really hard stuff happening in my life. And also as a guy who struggled with his weight his whole life, I was overweight as a kid. Then I lost it. I went to college and gained it back. I graduated from college and lost it. Like, then I gained it back and then I lost it. Like that's I think my... that's just that's just weight loss in general. It's like a roller coaster. Right. Um, but 30 pounds overweight, I might be obese. I'm pro- I'm only five foot six. Like 30 pounds is a lot on my frame. I carry it well, but it's a lot. Um it's but it's not laziness. Some of it is life situation and some of it is motivation. Like 80, not in terms of I'm not motivated to lose weight, but in terms of ADHD. People with ADHD have trouble initiating and starting tasks. So sometimes I have trouble going to the gym. Sometimes it's I have trouble remembering to go to the gym. Sometimes it's I have trouble activating. And by the time I do activate, I don't have the time anymore. Like I had an hour long window and it took me 25 minutes to activate. And well, now that can't go to the gym because it's going to take me 15 minutes to get there and get back. That's five minutes at the gym. That doesn't work, right? And sometimes I pivot and I'm like, okay, I'll go for a walk. I'll pick up a kettlebell or whatever. There's that. There's also the impulsivity of ADHD right? So if I'm stressed and worn down, I'm less able to inhibit those responses, those those impulsive actions. So suddenly I'm eating the cookies and I'm eating the ice cream and I'm eating the crap that I shouldn't be eating. Could I get it out of my house? Sure. But is that fair to do to my kids and my wife? Like none of you can have anything delicious, even though you can eat at a reasonable amount, but dad can't. So there's no more Oreos. Like that's not a plan. Um. So it, it there's a lot of factors for ADHD that go into people with ADHD being overweight. Some of people with ADHD point it point that impulsivity in a healthy direction and they're like, I'm feeling impulsive. I'm going to do 20 push-ups or I'm going to go for a run or whatever. That happens too, but it's just not always the case. The reason I asked that was because I do have a concern about obviously helping kids with ADHD and, you know, making sure they get, you know, certain counseling, anything of that sort, but also I have a probably more of a concern for adults. Um, not that I'm against kids getting help at all, not at, against that at all. It's just, I feel like adults, it's a little bit different and it's probably a little bit more serious because there becomes a lot more problems when you become an adult. Obesity is a factor only because you're getting stressed all the time. You're leading to depression, anxiety, any a number of things can cause you to kind of, especially if you have ADHD, it's all ramped up to like 10. Right. So I'm, you're I'm, more vulnerable for that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious from, you know, what's probably the biggest problem you face with um people or adults with ADHD? What problem do they face the most like that you've come in contact with? Is it time management? Is it shame? Is it depression? Is it, I'm sure it's a host, a number of things. Yeah, I don't know that I can narrow it down to one. Um, shame is up there. Shame and anxiety. Those Those are way, way up there. You can get shame from anything, from missing a, either being late by five minutes, even saying something wrong that you might have overshared or something of that sort, which makes it extremely difficult because people with ADHD tend to not really have a filter, not in the sense that you're going to call someone ugly right to their face, but you're going to say probably something that you probably shouldn't say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a model that I call the wall of awful that shame plays a prominent role in. It's not the only thing in there, but it plays a prominent role. The idea behind it is... It's, it's a model for the emotional impact of the repeated failure that comes with ADHD and executive functioning challenges. Everybody has a wall of awful. People with ADHD just have bigger ones and they tend to be have more of them and that kind of stuff. So the idea is every time we fail, we get a brick in our wall, right? We get a failure brick. Along with the failure brick, we get a disappointment brick because we disappointed ourselves. But we also disapp- get, get a disappointment brick for anyone in our life whose opinion of us matters that around that failure. So a kid doesn't do their homework, disappointment brick for mom, dad, the teacher, right? A husband doesn't mow the lawn, disappointment brick for himself, his wife, neighbors, maybe, I don't know, kids, who knows. Eventually, 
these bricks pile up, right? So along with disappointment, when we disappoint someone, we assume they're going to reject us socially. They're going to like us a little bit less. So we also get rejection bricks that go along with the disappointment bricks. We might feel guilty having made this mistake, right? So we get a guilt brick. Guilt and shame are really close. And the way I distinguish them is guilt is I feel like I made a mistake. Shame is I feel like I am the mistake. If the reason I made this mistake is because I have ADHD and there's a significant pattern of this kinds of mistakes in my life, that's a recipe for shame. And when we have shame around a certain task or activity or person or job or whatever, we tend to avoid it. We tend to not want to do that anymore, right? So shame plays a prominent role and shame leads to anxiety, right? Which makes the shame worse, which makes the anxiety worse. And we cycle through. And the ADHD is just contributing to all of this really neurodiversity in general. Um, and so that's that's hard, right? And that even speaks to some of the the job churn you talked about, right? Where people at, might bounce from job to job. One of the things that happens is when you have ADHD, you're making mistakes at work and you know it way before your boss knows it. So some of that job churn is shame-based. Some of that job stuff is, I know I'm screwing up and I'm gonna get caught soon. And I don't want to get caught again. So I'm just going to go find another job because I can't handle someone getting in my face about the mistakes that I've made. I just can't do that right now or maybe ever. So I bounce from job to job because I'm trying to avoid being in trouble at work because that feels really terrible, even though I know I'm in trouble at work because I've been messing stuff up for six months now. They just haven't noticed yet. And once they notice, then things are going to go bad. So I'm going to bounce. And some folks with ADHD are honest with themselves about that and are like, this is why I'm moving. Other people with ADHD are like, I'm just bored. And I'm like, all right, like, are you bored or have you just been messing up a lot and you're kind of scared? And sometimes it's their bored and sometimes it's the shame of the mistakes and that kind of stuff. Um, it can lead to folks with ADHD not interacting socially as much because they overshare, like you mentioned. So shame is up there. Anxiety is up there. Um, and a lot of that comes out of the other stuff, right? Impulsivity is why I'm making the mistakes or struggling to initiate a task and get started is why I made that mistake. So it's kind of like there's this big stuff, shame and anxiety, but hiding underneath that are all these other smaller things that are contributing to the bigger thing of shame. And, and that's what's tricky about ADHD is, yeah, we can treat the shame. Yeah, we can treat the anxiety in a mental health way and we can get that stuff tamped down and managed. But then we have to address the missing skills that exist underneath that and are causing the shame and anxiety. Now we have to look at how do we get to places on time? How do we build that skill? How do we initiate a task that we don't want to do? How do we follow through with communications to our boss? How do we do these smaller skills? Because that's what builds success. And, and most of it is a lack of skills. And this is for anybody. This is not just ADHD. Um, that's one of the things that's both amazing and frustrating about ADHD is AD, the challenges of ADHD are the essential challenges of life and especially adult life. And so kind of anything that's going to help a person with ADHD is going to help a person who doesn't have ADHD, who might be having similar challenges. But the ADHD challenges are all dialed up to 11. And the stuff that helps a neurotypical person might probably won't help the person with ADHD because we need more specific stuff. But because our stuff is more specific, it usually helps neurodiverse, neurotypical people. So neurotypical people will say where you were earlier, doesn't everybody kind of have ADHD or I've got a little bit of ADHD because I am late a lot. Like, yeah, are you late so much that you've lost four jobs or are you just late and your friends get annoyed with you on occasion and every now and then your boss is like, hey, you were late. Like that's that's the difference, right? It's kind of like everybody gets sad, but not everyone has chronic depression. Like it's the same I same sort of uh, ratio. How much? Or how much? A lot. Sorry about that. That's good. I, I, it's actually very informative. But how much of that wall of awful boils down to the individual making changes in their life to be able to fix or take down maybe some bricks to try and build, at least be a little bit less hypersensitive. I wouldn't call it, I guess, I mean, kind of hypersensitive. I mean, I feel like the more problems stack up, the more sensitive you are to everything around you. Um, but then how much boils on to society changing? I mean, this world isn't really built for people with necessarily ADHD 
um, which makes it feel like a, a bit of an outcast. We're, we're bringing it back to that shame again. I mean, it's hard when you feel like you're you're more of a failure than and everyone else around you is either succeeding or something. Yeah, that's an awesome question. That's a question that I don't get asked enough. Um, so thank you for that question. Really, really, it's it's the, the crux of it in a lot of ways. Um, the the way I sort of call out that question is I say, is it the fish or is it the water? Right? Is the fish sick or is the water toxic? Like what's going on? And the answer generally is both. Like the answer is the fish would be healthy in better water, but most fish can live in this water. Most fish are fine in this water. But the ADHD fish, the autistic fish, the fish that gets migraines, right? Those neurodiverse fish are more sensitive to what's going on in the water. And so they're struggling. And we have to do both. We have to treat the water. We have to work on society and try to make things easier and, and stop doing arbitrary requirements that don't make any sense. Like if I can do my job from noon till 8 p.m., why do I have to get to work at 9 a.m. if I can still do the same job in a different time frame and I'll be better off because I'll, it matches my sleep schedule? That's not even ADHD. That's just, are you a lark? Do you just want to be up late, right? And so some of it is that like, this is how society is built and it sucks and it's stupid. And there are companies that are trying to change that. There's politicians trying to change that. There's podcast hosts and YouTube people and TikTokers that are trying to change that. And some of it is society's not going to change at the pace that you want it to change. It just isn't. It's not going to change as fast as you need it to. So you have to adapt. You have to become a healthier, stronger fish. And, and that's there too, right? So when it comes to the wall of awful, there's five ways to get past it. Th two don't work, th three do, and one of those three is not that great. So one way people try to get past it is they stare at the wall, and that's not getting you past it. You're just stuck. Another way people try to get past it is they try to go around it, but it's a metaphor and it's infinitely wide. I know because I made it up. You're not going around the wall of awful. It's not going to happen. You're going to get distracted and end up doing something else. And the third, the third option that is not great, but at least it gets you through is to like get really angry and smash your way through the wall of awful. That's fine. I'll do it. Shut up. Right. The person gets mad at you because you're the person asking them to do the thing, or they get mad at themselves. And why do I suck? Why can't I just do this? What's wrong with me? I just have to do this for blah, 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 right? It works, but it damages relationships. Like that's, you're damaging your relationship with the person you snapped at. You're potentially damaging your relationship with yourself because you're always so self-critical and beating yourself up so much. Not the greatest option, but at least it's an option. It's the least skilled choice that's going to get us through. Those, by the way, are fight, flight, and freeze. It's the body's stress response. It's how we respond to stress. So fight is smashing, flight is going around it, and freezing is staring at it. The two that get us past it that are healthier are climbing it and putting a door in it. Climbing the wall really means managing those emotions, like you were saying, right? That's too sensitive. That just means my emotions are dysregulated. That's all that sensitive means, is my emotions are winning. I'm processing emotionally as opposed to cognitively. and so. That struggle, if we know we're there and we can start to bring some cognitive power to it and accept that these emotions exist, accept that this challenge is in front of me, accept that I don't like it and I don't want to do it, but I still have to, then we can start climbing. And the more we can do that, the stronger of a climber we're going to become. We can also make the climb easier by putting handholds in the wall. That's things like using a timer. Or having a buddy that's going to kind of help us out and support us in doing this task. Or sometimes just going somewhere else, right? And then we want to put a door in it. And putting a door in it means changing our emotional state. Going somewhere else can also put a door in the wall because it changes our emotional state. It helps us get to the other side of the wall almost immediately. We might also listen to music. The whole job of music is to affect us emotionally. So listening to music might help motivate us. You might be a person who enjoys watching like documentaries about people being successful and like their road to the top or whatever. You might find that motivating. That's a great way to put a door in your wall. Listening to this podcast might put that door in your wall. 
So there's different ways to get past it, but the two that really work are climbing it and putting a door in it. Climbing it is a lot of emotional work until you get to the cognitive place where you can just start doing the thing. And putting a door in it is changing that emotional state so that you're in a more positive mindset and then riding that positive mindset into whatever the task happens to be. Do you think that a lot of things that people experience with ADHD, like the depression, the emotional dysregulation, the anger, things like this, people kind of have who are not ADHD, who are more neurotypicals, but they have it specifically just one attribute, not the whole mix in a day sometimes. Like it's not bipolar. It's not like constantly being on a flip switch. It's just that you experience a lot and it's all happening. It seems like everything's moving twice, this not twice the speed. It actually feels like everything's going slow. Um, but you experience more like detail, whatever it is about a certain situation. You are picking up things that other people are not picking up. Um, either if it's really small stuff, it doesn't mean anything and you hold on to it for a very long time. But I've noticed like a lot of people that say I have a little bit of ADHD. It's usually something specific, like it's depression or it's like, you know, overthinking, or if it's something like that, I'm like, well, that's anxiety that those can all be classified as that. But I also think it's because ADHD, they experience it like tomorrow. I might be completely different. I might be hundred percent in a great mood, bad mood, whatever, not like the day before, but then for some people, that day that I'm this is their months, their years, there took a long time to build that up and get them to that point to where it seems like I can relate. But only for me, it's for a, a moment or a day. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of things going on there. One is people with ADHD have trouble regulating their emotions. So that means that our emotions tend to bubble to the surface more easily especially strong ones. So excitement, anger, that kind of stuff. And that means that we seem like we're jumping all over the place emotionally. Other people are also experiencing these emotions. They're just regulating it better, right? Like something happens that makes them cranky and they kind of are like, this is not the appropriate time for me to be mad. I don't want to start screaming at the car in front of me that cut me off in front of my whole family. So I'm going to like squash that, right? And it doesn't come up as high for them. So for them, they get cut off pops them to like a five and they're able to handle it and then it goes back down. The ADHD person gets cut off. It pops into a seven, right? Because it just is a stronger response and they're not as good at pushing it back down. So they're like, ah, now they're yelling, right? And as the day goes by, this builds up and builds up and builds up. So their baseline is higher, right? Their baseline of emotionality. So the neurotypical person might be at a three and get popped to a five and that turns into an eight, right? And now they're maybe like ranting a little bit, but they calm themselves down and they're like, oh, what the? And then they shut it down, right? The ADHD person is not at a three, they're at like a five, right? And then they get popped up by eight, they're at a 13 and they're ranting and raving. And like, it seems like this huge jump because their five is their baseline and they that's normal for them, but they're always kind of on edge and they just hide it well. They mask it is the term. So some of it's that. Another piece in terms of noticing stuff is folks with ADHD, like another thing we have trouble regulating is our attention. So ADHD stands for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. It's not really a deficit of attention. It's an inability to regulate our attention. We have the same amount of attention as anyone else does. We just are not as good at putting it where it needs to be when it needs to be there. And we have trouble differentiating the signal from the noise. So that means that I'm noticing stuff that doesn't really matter and maybe not noticing the stuff that does matter, right? You're driving down the highway to keep that example. And like, I could have noticed this guy's blinker and his indication that he was going to hop in front of me, but there are some cows on the side of the road and that's cool. So I'm looking more at the cows, right? And then my kid's like, oh, they're running, dad. So I speed up a little bit because I'm like, let's pace the cows or something, right? And I sped up, didn't even notice I sped up because I'm looking at the cows and I'm listening to my kid. And then this dude cuts in front of me. But did he cut me off if he had his blinker on for a little while and I sped up and now he's closer to me than he would have been? Like, and I don't even know. I don't even realize that that's what happened because of my attention was somewhere else. It wasn't on the cars in the, on the road. It was on the cows over there. So there's lots of reasons why ADHD comes across the way that it comes across and why it plays out the way that it does. 
the more you know about this disorder, the more you can manage it kind of on your own. It's still a good idea, especially early on with a diagnosis, to connect to a professional, whether it's a clinician or a coach or a psychiatrist, psychologist, someone who can guide you on this path. But not everyone has those resources. Not everyone has that money or that health insurance or whatever. It's one of the few mental health disorders where you can get a lot of mileage out of learning about it. So I recommend checking out my podcast, ADHD Essentials, checking out Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb, How to ADHD with Jessica McCabe on YouTube, ADHD is the New Black with Stacey Michelle on YouTube. There's lots and lots of resources out there. Translating ADHD is a podcast as well with my friends, Cameron and Asher. There's lots and lots of places that you can go to for information. Do you, it'll help you. Do you think that because you have ADHD that you understand the research better than some of the people who might not and just actually research into it? I've talked to some of them and I'm not going to shout anybody, shout out or call out anybody on air, but I've been given an example like the car one that you mentioned, but the way it was kind of pitched, it just didn't hit right. And it was kind of like, that makes us seem very violent, volatile and kind of crazy. And I don't think ADHD people are violent. I think they have an impulse to, you know, I'll shout something or I think a lot of people get mad when they drive. Doesn't mean you're going to like try and follow somebody home and attack them. But, you know, for someone who doesn't have ADHD, doesn't know what that experience is like, doesn't know that it's kind of over in like a second after it happens, um, they would consider that like a problem or an issue. And I don't want to repeat anything like we've done in the past when it comes to like asylums or anything like that. Um, I think there's a few things going on with me specifically. One is, yeah, I have it. So I get it. I live ADHD every day. So that helps. Also, I have two master's degrees in education and mental health. That means I understand stuff at a higher level because I've been trained to understand stuff at a higher level. I'm also a former English teacher. I'm really good at communicating. So some of it, it's, if this is landing better than other, what other people have talked about, some of it is my skill as a communicator because I had to teach like 12-year-olds how to care about a persuasive essay. You know what I mean? Like I learned how to communicate in a way that is easy to access because I was talking to 11 and 12 year olds when I taught. So it, it's kind of like, it's like Voltron or the Power Rangers, right? Like it's a bunch of different pieces coming together to form something that's useful in me. Um, and I, I want to circle back really quick because one of the things I didn't mention as a resource on purpose, and I want to tell people why, is TikTok. TikTok is not the best place to go learn about ADHD. And it's not because the people on TikTok don't know what they're doing necessarily. Some of them don't. Um, a lot of them don't. But, but it's because the nature of TikTok is that it's really quick sound bites. You only have a few seconds, which is great for the ADHD attention and is really engaging. But it's terrible for getting the level of depth of knowledge that you need to understand something as complex as ADHD. So go to podcasts, go to YouTube, read books, read articles. Don't expect TikTok to give you a good education on ADHD. The medium is wrong for what you need. Even with podcasts, I mean, like, like me in this discussion, I, we cover, covered a lot and obviously a short compacted time. Hopefully people look that up or a specific thing that resonates with them to go. And that's what I try and tell people to do as well too. I learned that because you're not going to be able to just get everything, all your answers in one go. But on TikTok, I noticed with ADHD, that's actually where I discovered maladaptive daydreaming and got to talk to Ellie Somer and a bunch of other people um, who work in that area. It's good for that. There's a large group of people that were able to connect to that. I think social media is good for connecting people with ADHD together. But I've also noticed that it's become jobs for people, influencers. And one I just saw this morning, she was screenshotting things um, that was misinformation. And she was like, this is what, this is how I call out. She's going to make a video where she just calls out a bunch of people that say that they're ADHD people. I'm like, is that the right way to do it? You know what I mean? So, I mean, it's hard because I don't want to, I don't want it to turn into something where people just milk it. You know, not saying that the people with ADHD milk it. I'm saying the people that just use that as like a way to get something else out of people that are trying to legitimately look for someone who could give them either things that can relate to them when it comes to ADHD or, I mean, how many videos do you come across on social media that give you like five superpowers and then they don't talk about anything else that goes with it. So it just makes you seem like people go, well, you should be able to do anything then. It's like, yep, that's it. That's it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and there's also stuff where people are like, this is ADHD. I'm like, no, it's not. That's not ADHD. That's anxiety. Yeah. If you sneeze right? five or that's times, sensory that's processing ADHD. disorder or something like you, you, you as a TikToker do not have the level of education that you need to understand what you're trying to talk about. And you are confusing stuff that's comorbid with ADHD as being ADHD. And what that does is it reduces distinctions. And those distinctions matter and are important. We, we want to know where does my ADHD stop and my, AD, and my anxiety begin, right? And then we want to know what is my response to that anxiety? How is that informing and affecting my ADHD? And what of the, how is that response useful and how is that response not useful? Because if we don't draw those distinctions, we can't treat ourselves or be treated by a professional in a way that is useful. And that matters because we're not going to get as far as we want to get, right? Where's a, where is the line between ADHD and trauma? Because that's really what the shame and the anxiety that I talked about earlier, it's trauma. It's not I was assaulted to trauma. It's not I witnessed a murder trauma. It's trauma by a million little cuts over the course of your life. The wall of awful is a trauma model. It's just whittling trauma as opposed to big, huge, all at once trauma. The brain doesn't care. The brain does not care. It's the it, trauma is trauma for the brain, and for how we process information and the way we respond to stuff. And you need those distinctions. And not everybody on TikTok is qualified to talk about the stuff they're talking about. And also true for YouTube, also true for podcasts, but TikTok in particular, because it's so easy to do, has far more people who are not as qualified. And you just got to vet. I, uh, I've definitely done a lot, a lot of research on ADHD, but I'm not a physician and I can't, or, you know, doctor that can give you any medical advice on that. But I saw a TikTok video where someone's like, yeah, if you sneeze multiple times in a row, that could be a symptom of ADHD. I was like, I don't think so. I was like, I don't know anybody that's ever experienced that. I think that's just called allergies. So there is a little bit out there where you kind of have to cut through, but some people who either might have a family member that has it, I like it that they go and follow pages at least to try and understand that what their family member's going through. But you, there's a question I'm going to ask you. You might know the answer to it. You might not, but this one's been bugging me because I haven't been able to find anybody to really talk about it or that has even maybe heard of it before, but with the emotional dysregulation, kind of the range of emotions people experience, is that just, what about justice sensitivity? Like, cause there's some things for me where I'm like, I'm really passionate about stuff. I don't care about politics. I really don't like, I don't care left, right. To me, the, everyone's like, yeah, but you love politics. And I'm like, no, I just, I see a lot of stuff that's not good. And I want to say something about it and I want to talk about it. And then that's where I get really passionate about. So I'm curious. I mean, could you give me any info on justice sensitivity? I don't think that just – when we talked about ADHD superpowers, right, and I said a lot of those are a side effect, I think justice sensitivity is a side effect of ADHD. I don't think it's like necessarily has to be a trait, right? But if we think about the experience of growing up with ADHD, it makes sense. I have ADHD. I make mistakes. I make mistakes because – I'm not aware of what I'm supposed to do because my ADHD got in the way and I think I did it right. And then I get in trouble for not doing it right or not doing it the way that they wanted me to do it, even though I got to the right answer anyway. That feels like an injustice, right? Does this make sense? A little bit. And, and that happens over and over and over again, right? Or something goes wrong and I don't think it's my fault because I didn't do anything. But it's the very fact that I didn't do anything that caused the problem, and I'm not making that connection, let's say. And I don't feel like I should be getting in so much trouble because, like, it's not my fault, even though maybe it is. But I'm not, I didn't see it. I didn't make that connection because ADHD got in the way. I'm in class and I keep getting in trouble for calling out. And some other kid calls out and they don't get in trouble. And that's not fair, that's unjust. But that's my working memory and my inability to like think long-term partially because I'm a kid and partially because ADHD makes that harder. And I'm not realizing that I call out three and four times per class and that kid hasn't called out at all and it's June. And this is the first time that kid has ever called out in class. And like, I lost my one back in August. <laughs> 
and hold on what is happening here i apologize for that um but i i lost my my i used my one shot back in august and now this kid is using theirs in this moment in in like june there's lots of reasons why we perceive justice problems and and think like stuff isn't fair and once we've spent a little bit of time as a kid thinking we're unfairly put upon sometimes we are unfairly put upon sometimes not sometimes it's the adhd and we're just not making the connections once we start thinking that way we start forming that pattern and we start seeing that pattern in other places for other people so that plays a role in justice sensitivity also we recognize like i have to struggle and that's dumb like i shouldn't have to struggle as much as i have to struggle why is everything so hard for me when it could be easier like why is homework 50% of my grade that's dumb i take a test i kill it i get 100 on the test but i'm a c student cuz i can't do my homework like that doesn't make any sense to me i know my stuff i just suck at doing homework and what the kid isn't realizing is homework is a skill that you don't have but you do have the knowledge you're just not applying this executive functioning skill and so as we see these patterns of like things are harder for me and it doesn't seem fair then i start looking around and i'm like oh things are hard for this person too i understand their struggle or I at least can relate to it and now i'm tuned into that person's struggle and i'm like that's not fair that's unjust and so a lot of it is like that justice sensitivity is a side effect of the more struggly nature of an ADHD life tunes us into our own struggles, other people's struggles, and that gets us more in tune with justice than maybe neurotypical people would be. And kind of especially people who are really successful tend to be. We know that people who experience significant success and especially who have a lot of money and privilege and power lose sight of people with less power and don't care about it as much because they're not exposed to it. That was great. Um, I I literally have one last question for you, giving me enough of your time. But um, I wanted to ask for through all the people you've interviewed for your show, mm-hmm. are you surprised at the number of people that are interested in researching about ADHD or just being advocates of it? I sometimes yes, and sometimes no. Like it's it's at this point it's part of my culture on the internet and it might some of my best friends are ADHD professionals um so I I'm like steeped in ADHD stuff so I know how small it is <laughs> as a, as a group right I I help run the conference like I know it's not a bananas huge number of people who are doing this work but I also know that like it's it's growing every day and it's great that there's more people coming in um I would not have guessed that I could do 250 episodes of a primarily interview-based podcast and be able to keep going with no end in sight on basically only ADHD. Um, I do wander off in other areas on occasion, and I certainly don't only interview ADHD people. I go and interview like experts on anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder and that kind of stuff. Um, Sleep. But it is surprising to me that there's so many people here in this field and one of the things that is humbling is how many of us myself included are not motivated by the money we're motivated to help we're motivated to make people's lives better and that's wonderful so many of us are are trying to become the person we needed when we were a kid so that the kids in this generation can have another problem to solve instead of this one. Um, and that's, that is the part that I'm, I'm constantly amazed by is how genuine so many of us are. Not everybody. I've certainly worked with folks who were more motivated by the money. I just don't work with them anymore. Um, but, but a lot of us are motivated to help, which is good and bad because we don't make as much money as we probably should or could. But but we are helping a lot of people. And that's the part that I think is the most amazing with regard to the ADHD larger community. And a big credit to you. It takes a lot for setting up a show, booking guests, things of that sort, especially for 250 episodes. That's 
I mean, I appreciate that. And I'm sure plenty of people that listen appreciate that as well, too. Is there a place where people can find your links? Yeah, everything is ADHD essentials. So ADHDESSENTIALS.com is my website. The podcast is ADHD Essentials. The Twitter handle is ADHD Essentials. The Facebook stuff is ADHD Essentials. Instagram and uh, threads and blue sky, all of it is ADHD Essentials. And I'll make sure I link all that for the people that are listening to be able to click and check it out in the episode details. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, seriously. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank Podcast.